Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. In this podcast, we try to figure out what the heck is going on in this crazy digital revolution that we're in the midst of in our professional lives, our personal lives, everywhere else in between. And I suspect pretty soon, though, this is going to be uh, the impacts of this revolution are going to go on for a long time. But the revolution itself might be pretty short because I think everybody wants this to happen, is eager for it to happen. And one of the people who has a great insight into figuring out what is this new digital world going to look like and how will companies successfully navigate their way into it is our good friend. He is a member of the Acceleration Economy Analyst Network, former CIO, CTO, CDO, and all-around fantastic guy, Wayne Saden. Wayne, welcome. Gee, Bob, that's quite an introduction. I'll have to do my best to live up to it. <laughs> no, Wayne, I had to restrain myself a little. I left out a lot of the good stuff. Well, that's what comes from 40 years of doing this. There is a lot of stuff, good and bad, I suppose. But I've been doing this a long time, uh, back when most of these companies didn't exist. Crazy, crazy. Wayne, you keep sending me that $5 bill every month, and I will keep, to the best of my ability, the bad stuff out of of the picture, I promise. But so, Wayne, a couple of things. I know you said there's something interesting going on with uh, the, with the, the summit. And I know you wanted to mention that. And then you've got some great ideas. You, It seems like the big cloud vendors are on the move, all got some interesting things going on. So let me turn it over to you. Well, let me start with talking about Summit NA. So um, as I do my acceleration economy pieces, we've been talking about it. The Community Summit North America the largest independent gathering of the Microsoft business applications ecosystem is taking place October 10th through 13th in Orlando, Florida at the Gaylord Palms. It's got 500 and more Dynamics, Dynamics 365 and Power Platform sessions with over 300 speakers. This is a by users, for users event. And I gotta say, Bob, before I ever heard of Acceleration Economy, I paid my own money when I was a consultant and my employer's money when I was a CIO to go to these events. If you are using the Microsoft products, if you're thinking about the products, if you want to use them better, as we keep talking about how to use these products to their full potential, this is the show for people to attend, whether you're a CIO or CFO or the implementers and people using the technology. So go to summitna.com and people can get more information. Great. Great. Wayne, thank you for that. And uh, Wayne, yeah, it's an interesting time of year. I don't know if this just uh, arises like completely organically or if it is uh, companies cranking up, you know, to really uh, do everything possible to finish the year in a strong way. You got the big, many of the big customer or uh, tech company customer conferences coming up. But we really see maybe after the, the summer, everybody wants to get back with Aurora. And you've got some ideas about how some of the big cloud vendors are really stepping out and starting to assert themselves in their different uh, categories. Well, Bob, a lot of my inspiration for these conversations comes from the things you write and you say. Uh, you're one of the first things I check daily is to see what is Bob talking about today? And over the last week, you've done a piece on Salesforce, Uh, trying to take out other CRM vendors in an interview with one of the presidents. You talked about Microsoft taking more share, but cutting the customer's bill. And we talked about that last month when we talked. There was the Salesforce is now the biggest app vendor replacing SAP. And one of my favorites that Oracle may very well become the fastest growing cloud vendor, a major cloud vendor. I know the little ones can grow quite quickly. So when we talk about those stories, 
you kind of address them from the analyst perspective. Here's the industry, here's sales, here's share. I got a little different perspective. Um, I'm not an investor in any of these companies, but I am a buyer of this stuff. And then when somebody buys it, I get stuck implementing it, supporting it, and helping people use it. Hey, so Wayne, that's man, my just, perspective. Uh, Wayne, that uh, great perspective. That I just want to say, uh, like you, I am not an investor in any of these companies. Yeah, it's important that we say it. Otherwise, people attack us, right, Bob? Um, Ankle biters uh, on parade. The, the beauty of, quite frankly, the beauty of not being employed by a company as a CIO is I'm free to say what I want. Mm -hmm. You know, I really can say this vendor is beaten out that vendor. This one's good. This one's bad. Um, I have the independence, the luxury of the independence to be able to be honest with people. I think that's what acceleration economy is about, is yeah. we really do tell people what we actually see and feel and believe and that's what I like doing with your stories is putting my buyer CIO point of view on them. And Wayne, I think it's you're ideally uh, capable of doing that. The the stuff that I say, and I, I don't aim it at investors. I suspect some investors would look at it. I'm talking to the people in this business saying, look what's happening here. And you know what I, I, I think by any, uh, any objective measure, the greatest growth market the world has ever known, but it's not a static thing. It's not like, well, here's the giant, they're always the biggest, and then this one. Oracle, right? Everybody said that Oracle and SAP were these old fuddy-duddies, and they could never play with the cloud-native companies. Well, now, last quarter, SAP grew 34%. Next week, on the 12th, when Oracle releases its numbers, it might post 44% cloud revenue growth. It's extraordinary. Now, they're not nearly as big as some of the others, but um, it shows the dynamism that exists among the Cloud Wars top 10 companies that I covered. This is a massive growth market, and the growth is interesting for those vendors, Wayne, but to come back to your area of expertise, what it really, why I think it's particularly uh, important and compelling to dig into is all those numbers show Companies are buying their stuff. They want this stuff. They need it. Uh, and the move into that digital economy, like we talked about at the opener, is the impetus behind that. So sorry for the interruption there, Wayne. Let me turn it back over to you. Oh, that's a great perspective. And, and the key for me as I started trying to understand this is we're comparing companies that have vastly different revenue streams that came from vastly different places that support in many cases, different customer bases. And so I created a little taxonomy as I was thinking about how to talk about this. So let's talk about three dimensions. And by the way, if we had a really great graphics thing, we would build this three-dimensional cube and we could beat out the quadrants and frontiers because it's a three-dimensional way of looking at this industry. So I look at the layers, the layers of the stack. We start with, and apologies if you're a tech person, because we do this for a lot of different audiences infrastructure as a service, the commodity of servers and storage and networking. That's replacing the servers you might otherwise buy as CapEx and putting them in your data center with letting somebody else do it for you. So that's IaaS infrastructure as a service. On top of that is platform as a service. Those are the geeky tools, report writers, software development tools, debugging tools, library management tools, database tools that live on top of the infrastructure stack, but don't deliver business value in and of themselves. They're a little stickier because the programmers really 
love them when they find the one they want, but there's a limited audience. So the sales volume, uh, the number of people they're selling to is much smaller. The top of the stack is software as a service, by far the stickiest. When you put 100,000 users on a CRM or an ERP, you don't change it lightly. They are the most differentiated, the most complicated. And so when you look at the who's in what layer, Salesforce, SAP, and Workday are SaaS vendors. They primarily sell, although there are a few platform things, applications. Microsoft sells at all three layers, infrastructure, platform, and software. Oracle is software as a service, applications, plus, of course, databases, uh, platform as a service. And with OCI, they're moving into the infrastructure business. Although I don't really think anybody would go to Oracle just to buy server capacity. That's not really their business model. Um, IBM, of course, is infrastructure. They started out making the iron and putting software on top of it to get people to buy this stuff. And platform, they, they, they sell very few specific business applications, although the ones they have uh, serve niche markets and serve them quite well. And then I got to put Google in there because it's one of the other big ones, their infrastructure, a little bit of platform. They don't really do applications other than on your phone and you know things like that. The search is an application, I suppose. So we look at the layers, that's one way. Another way is where these companies start out. I call it origins. Um, so SAP, IBM, and Oracle started out as enterprise on-prem. What does that mean? It means they supported the largest customers in the world. They were used to be, the IBM's slogan used to be, they fill the sky with blue suits when you have a problem. Um, the, these companies made their, their bones on, we will be there when you need us. And we'll be as deep into your stack of technology as we have to be to solve your problem. So they're very, very specific way of looking at the world, but they did come from servers and selling iron and pieces of iron and so on. Um, Microsoft started as a desktop and departmental on-prem company. They weren't tackling that we'll take on the biggest problems of the biggest companies. They said, want to buy this operating system for your PCs back when PCs were toys. And they've built their way back up. And we'll talk about the implications in a minute. And then Salesforce, Workday, Google, Cloud Native. They said, we started in the cloud. We're never leaving the cloud. We are cloud companies. And there are implications to the origins. There's a saying, right? Walmart is never going to be Neiman Marcus, but Neiman Marcus is never going to be Walmart. And so you got to look at the company DNA, the culture, and an on-prem enterprise company is different than a cloud native company, is different than a departmental company in the way they look at customers. And the third dimension of this, Bob, is what I call coverage. I define SAP, Oracle, and Workday as suites. They have broad OEM offerings, broad product families, Workday a little narrower, but certainly um, Oracle and SAP have quite broad product families. Now, Microsoft and Salesforce, I'm going to put in another category above that called super suites. That's how I look at them. They are robust OEM offerings. You can buy pieces of software from the vendor, but they have equally robust application stores where you can buy thousands of partner products that integrate with that. So again, there are decisions one makes when you pick one of these structures. 
So you have really just the two kinds of coverage, sweets and super sweets. I'm leaving out the point solutions, the ones, by the way, that Salesforce says we're going to knock out, the yeah. ones that Microsoft means we're going to knock out, even though they didn't say it as plainly. So, so that's the taxonomy. Real quick on this, you know, I loved your point there about the differentiation of Salesforce and Microsoft because of the ecosystem and the partner things that uh, build up the application stores they have. It's interesting that uh, the three in the suites are Workday, um, Salesforce, or sorry, SAP, Oracle, and Workday. Those companies all have said within the last year that they are very, very, very eagerly moving to expand their ecosystem. They want to have more of those, um, you know, partner-driven ecosystem capabilities. So what a what an interesting breakout you made there, Wayne. Well, I want to make a point, and thank you for bringing that up. When I say a vendor is a platform as a service vendor, somebody is going to write in and say, wait a minute, they also have an application. If we say that somebody has a robust application store, one of the vendors is certainly going to call and say, what about my app store? You know, ADP, a traditional payroll vendor, introduced an app store a couple of years ago and has hundreds of products playing in the app store business. And they rewrote their application to support a plug and play architecture for that. So, um, definitely everybody's moving in that direction, driven by the consumerization of IT. Yeah. Everybody said, how many billions of dollars does Apple and Google make from the app stores? I want yeah. a piece of that. But from a customer perspective, if a company has built an architecture to make the plugins seamless, if you buy something from SAP, I'm sorry, from uh, Salesforce or Microsoft, and you're in their store environment, most of the applications, you click, 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 and they plug in and the next time you log in, they're running. And so the architecture is very clean. Now, some of the stuff has to be configured. I don't wanna oversimplify, but they've built a very robust architectural framework for plugging in products from other companies. Yeah. You know, there's a rule, there's a book called The Mythical Man Month written by a guy named Frederick Brooks, who was uh -huh. the, uh, the kind of the father of the System 360 software. And he said that if a piece of software costs X, then an integrated system of software costs 3X. And if a piece of software costs X, writing software for other people that aren't you costs 3X. And if you want to build a software product system, it's nine times the cost. Uh -huh. And so the Microsofts and Salesforce have gone probably further than the others in building an architecture that turns that 9X into zero. Now, I'll say this, Oracle and SAP have got robust architectures, but Oracle spent years on Fusion, and I know SAP has an architecture, although I admit I'm not as familiar with it, and it's designed to get all the stuff Oracle acquires to snap together better and better. No reason why that can't be opened up for other companies, right. but I don't think that's their focus right now. At least that's not what they're telling us as customers. So we have um, coverage layers and origins, which define how these companies see themselves. So, um, Bob, if you want to spend a minute talking about another company that defines itself, maybe that's an opportunity for you. Well, Wayne, thank you for steering me along here. Wanted to offer a word from our sponsor, BMC. If you don't have a crystal ball, then you probably can't predict the future of your business, unless 
you're leveraging data ops. It's how modern companies utilize analytics to lean into the future. When DevOps best practices and data management are better organized, analyzed, and data is leveraged, your business's value is unleashed. Find out how data ops can bring your company into the future at bmc.com slash data ops. So Wayne, um, those are interesting there as you talked about the, you know, the layers, the origins and the coverage, but you've also, I'm sure, got some thoughts about the trade-offs that somebody from a customer perspective has to acknowledge and deal with with each of these companies. Thank you for keeping me on track, Bob. Um, yeah, trade-offs are very straightforward. If the origin of the company is enterprise on-prem, they are big, complex, expensive, but support that you expect. If you're the CIO of a multinational, there's an IBM person, even today, dedicated to your account. If you're a mainframe shop or a mini computer shop, you have the equivalent of a branch manager dedicated to your shop. I know several CTOs at IBM that have one account, but they're very large accounts. That's the kind of support you're used to getting. It's not cheap. The people who work with those applications are the big four are the major consulting firms, whether captives in IBM's case or a couple others, and you're paying premium prices, but you're getting the global support from those organizations. If that's what you need, and that's what you can afford, that's a great basis for doing business with those companies. But I'll tell you what, to see a company that is 100 million in sales trying to play with that kind of software, with that kind of pricing structure, unless there's a very specific need, that's a mismatch an impedance mismatch, as we'd say in engineering. Mm -hmm. So you want to be understanding that an enterprise VAR and enterprise support comes with an enterprise price tag. If they're departmental on-prem, like Microsoft started, they mostly sold through VARs, value-added remarketers. A value-added remarketer is a company that takes products from a vendor, maybe multiple vendors, and then adds value. There's an important thing here. They don't just sell it. A lot of them do. I just sell it here, get the bill, send it on to you, pay us, we pay the vendor. Value added means they give you good advice, means they put stuff together. They help you as a smaller, maybe less sophisticated company, put these things together. And so Microsoft and other companies in that space have sold that way indirectly. And if you're a smaller company and can't afford, don't want to spend the enterprise price tag, they are a great support network. Now, when you look at cloud native companies, they started with type your credit card number in over here. Well, I don't care who they were. They started with, uh, we're going to end run IT because nobody believed in cloud if they were IT people. And the cloud companies differentiated themselves on buy the drink pricing. You know, we're $12 per user per month and, or we're free for a while or free for the first five users. So their model was more insidious we'll sneak our way into the organization. Now, Bob, that was 20 years ago. Today, they've grown up. I mean, Salesforce started as, we're going to end run your IT department because they're dumb and stupid. And I'm sure that wasn't their marketing literature, but that was sure their sales approach. I've, I saw it both as a consultant helping with that and as a, a CIO fighting against that. Yeah. But they started with a very different support model called, we have really great help screens. Just look it up and talk to people and you know, other users supporting it. 
Now, Bob, all, th all three models have converged. I mean, Microsoft has great online help. If you're a big enough company, you get Microsoft support. IBM sells through channels. Oracle sells through channels, I'm sure, um, you know, in industries and so on. So there's a mishmash. But again, it's their DNA. How did they start? When we talk about the layers, infrastructure is low margin commodity stuff. I'm replacing servers and storage and networking. And you get the support that you should expect as a commodity business. They're about scale and cost per unit. So the support you get as a base product is going to be less intense because they're selling a commodity. Platform as a service, the margin goes up. They're more differentiated, but the audience is smaller. It's a bunch of geeks in your development center who buy the product. And they tend to be products. A lot of companies that do this are not household words. Yeah. I did a project recently with that involved Atlassian software. Mm -hmm. They're a I don't know, $30 billion valuation, Australia-based company that sells developer tools. Most people never heard of them. Most people I know never heard of them, and I'm a geek because they sell very geeky tools. But once they put the tools in your shop, people fight to keep them in the shop. So platform as a service is a unique little niche in that the buyers are passionate, techie, and the support they want is they want to call another engineer. Mm -hmm. They want another geek on the phone when they have a problem. SaaS, of course, is the highest margin, the largest distribution. Every teller, every rep, every nurse and doctor are using the software. And so they're very sticky. They're very customized. And when you think about it, they are um, in an environment that once you get in, it's very hard to kick you out. So they'll move heaven and earth to get in. And the support has to be excellent because you're supporting frontline people driving trucks, flying airplanes, delivering patient care. So again, looking at the layers, you get different support at different costs, and you've got to be aware of the company's kind of culture, their DNA. And the last thing is coverage. When you're buying a super suite, and right now I think that's limited to Salesforce and Microsoft, you are really buying two things, their vision and their architecture. So Salesforce has the uh, Forceware, Force.com, the environment that they do, you develop in. Microsoft has their environment as well, which is the power platform and some other things. They all fit together. And if you buy into this vision of Microsoft or Salesforce, you've really made an emotional commitment to staying with the tool set because otherwise you don't get the value from the super suite. Uh, again, if you're an Oracle client, I've been an Oracle client in three different industries. So using three different parts of their enterprise software suite, uh, SaaS suite, on-prem suite, um, very, very same, similar thing. If I'm in the Oracle ecosystem in utilities or in manufacturing or financial services, you tend to want to buy things that work with it, but they don't plug into a store. So my commitment may be a little less intense. I can buy an Oracle product here and tie it into somebody else's GL over there. And I haven't felt like I lost much, but it, so the suites are a little less of a, how do I say this? An emotional buy yeah. where I'm buying in the company's vision, much more about the vertical focus in the industry cloud vendors and how they're going to support me doing what I do. So those are the trade-offs one makes. Um, and I want to bring up a, another point as we talk about what did your headlines, because that's what I want to get to. What did your headlines mean to the buyer? 
what you and I described as Satan's law about six, eight months ago. Yeah. 80 plus 10 plus 10 equals one third plus one third plus one third. And my, my thinking is that 80% of what an industry, a company does is the same. They hire, they fire, they buy, they sell, they make, they buy, they ship, they return. Those don't change across industries. 10% is industry-specific customization. Two things, usually. Regulatory accounting is one. How do we account for it and how are we regulated? And the other one is the myriad interfaces. I've got shop floor stuff. I've got trucking stuff. I've got uh, driving an x-ray machine in healthcare. They're the specific plethora of applications. And Bob, as, as an aside, if you haven't been a CIO, you don't realize that you walk into a shop, say a couple of billion dollar company, and they've got 200 apps, 300 apps, 400 apps running. Um, I've had a couple of clients recently that were small companies uh, under a few hundred million dollars with three ERP systems. Mm -hmm. Now, come on, man. Again, I'm going back to what Salesforce says. Why are you running three ERP systems in a small company? Your IT budget is 1.3% of sales. Your sales are 400 million bucks. You got a $5 million IT and you're running three ERPs and four CRMs. So that's just, somebody should take the CFO out in the woodshed or the CEO out in the woodshed and say, come on, direct IT to simplify and, and cut costs. Even if you got to, dare I say it, bang a few heads together because everybody has their favorite choice. So 10% is that complexity. And Bob, as you and I well know, the industry vendors are taking that complexity out. They're trying to do that for us. And of course, the last 10% is company folklore. What we do around here, Bob's report when Bob hasn't been with us for seven years, uh, the way we report things, because that's the way the founder wanted it. Now that's 80 plus 10 plus 10, but when you're implementing a process change, an ERP, an EHR, a CRM, uh, trucking software that changes your trucking company. It's a third, a third, a third. A third of your effort, cost, money, time is spent implementing the standard stuff. Nobody argues with the paycheck is going to be this format. Yeah. Um, the other third, the second third is the interfaces. It's the regulatory compliance and interfaces. And this is where we're seeing these industry vendors taking the pain of that second third out. And this ties into the Salesforce discussion. It ties into what Oracle's doing, what Microsoft is doing. We'll build you a trucking product. We'll build you a warehouse product. We'll build you a logistics product. And so you don't have to go find one and buy it and integrate it or build it yourself or customize the heck out of the code underlying our ERP CRM. And the last third, I jokingly say is the effort I spend talking the company out of that company folklore, the uh -huh. report for the person who's no longer here, the let's print all the paychecks backwards because that's what the founder said 45 years ago. That we can eliminate a lot of that effort by just saying, what's the cost of that customization and the cost to maintain it forever against its value and risk to our security infrastructure. So. If you're a buyer of any of this stuff, you gotta be thinking that way. I got 80 plus 10 plus 10 on the process side, but I got a third, a third, a third on the implementation support and cost side. So let's look at some of your headlines and talk about them. Okay. Salesforce is gonna displace the smaller CRM vendors. Somebody put a comment on your article and said, well, who are those vendors? There are hundreds of them. Yeah. It's everybody that isn't Salesforce, 
Microsoft and Oracle. You know, yeah. it's all the little twelve dollar to twenty dollar to fifty dollar a month vertical focused, uh, industry specific or generic SaaS products. And Salesforce's argument is: if you bought into the Salesforce ecosystem and you're already a Salesforce customer, why are you running five little CRMs in five other countries? when you could roll it up into this, the uh, Salesforce environment and have a lower attack surface, a lower IT cost to maintain, and most importantly, all your data in one place. For all the costs of running software and all the costs of maintaining software, I think there are three things that often get overlooked. The value of your data is vital. Yes. Right? You got The more you know, and the faster you know it, and the more you can integrate it, the better you can respond in the acceleration economy. That's one. Two is audit costs. And I say, we've said this before, audit bills get paid over here in a company, IT bills get paid over here. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the cost of auditing X systems, where X is more than one, you can pay for a small system, potentially, by eliminating audit and compliance costs of that system. And the third thing is security for a security attack surface. Every application I run on every server I maintain is one more place for an evildoer to get into my company yeah. and not just into that system because they're hooked together. I can come in over here in this tiny little CRM used in one country that hasn't been updated in 12 years and now find my way horizontally across into the crown jewels whether it's ERP or whether it's product data or whether it's pricing data or whether it's just uh, using the company to launch a distributed denial of service attack. So the cost of the product, well, we've had it for 12 years, it's fully paid off, fully depreciated, so what? Hey CFO, hey CEO, there's a so what that maybe your CISO or your CIO hasn't articulated. I'm here to articulate. So, so that's kind of the Salesforce thing. If you buy into what they're selling, their architecture, yes, you should do that. If you're a Microsoft customer, yes, you should do that. Don't run little applications on the corners of your environment. And you know, the Microsoft thing that you commented on, Microsoft wants to reduce customer spending, but they don't want to necessarily reduce their profit, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the answer is, hey, customer, why are you not fully utilizing our super suite? Salesforce and Microsoft both can say, we have report writers, we have BI tools, we have uh, uh, compo composing tools where you can take data out of one app and put it in another. We have AI tools that help you write queries and write programs. If you're not using these super suite tools to their full advantage, and in Microsoft's case, of course, they have the Windows 365 super suite, an E5 license includes 40 or 50 different capabilities, plus the Power Platform Super Suite, yeah. plus the Dynamics 365 Super Suite. And so it's, I guess, a super, super, super suite. <laughs> um, but if you're a customer of two or three of those things or a customer of the full Salesforce product line, most of you as customers, I'll bet you, are not using half of the capabilities in those suites. Because either... When we bought the suite, it didn't do that stuff. And now it's four years later, which in the case of a SaaS application is 40 releases later, you know, releasing once a month. 
We didn't see it when we first put it in. Nobody's in charge of implementing anymore. So we didn't turn that new feature on. That's number one. Um, number two, it just didn't occur to anybody that your process could benefit from it because we're not continually looking at our processes. You know, that's why we get that one third of Cruft, the report for the person that isn't there any longer. Nobody's in charge of eliminating. Yeah. Um, so we have those, those are definite problems that companies have. And the other one is that these suites tend to be distributed. Microsoft will have a feature over here and another feature over here. Salesforce does the same thing. Maybe the companies need evangelists to be going into the companies and driving utilization reviews. Mm -hmm. uh, so some software companies years ago on-prem used to bring in CTO level people and say, let's look at what you're using of the products. Because here's a rule, the more you use a product, the stickier it becomes. If I've got four products, each doing the same thing and I use them in four different spots in the company, any one of them might become the leader, right? Depending on who ascends to the leadership role. I like this product better, you like that product better. But if I can say this suite does the work of those other three products, then why the hell are we running those other three products? Because yeah. I'm already paying for yeah. the suite. So the Microsoft Salesforce, and to an extent, the Oracles and others have this opportunity. And I think that's the answer to a couple of the headlines. Um, I'd also want to comment on your Oracle headline, which I wrote as Oracle Ascendant. Look, I was an Oracle customer when they had a database. And they had the best database there was, but they had a database. And I remember when Larry Ellison announced, we're getting into the application business. Go look at the old headlines of those magazines saying he was out of his goddamn mind. Mm -hmm. What kind of infrastructure company sells applications? Who buys applications? There's no business in applications. And look what Oracle's turned that into. They've got intensely deep vertical specialization in financial services and utilities and transportation, plus the generic stuff. And now healthcare. And a comment on, on the Cerner acquisition, I got to say, if you read this, the news stories about the VA project that Cerner took on, it's anywhere from a $10 billion contract to a $16 billion contract. I'm sure it's government contract, who knows? And it's in trouble if you read the paper. I know nothing. I have no internal Cerner contacts, no internal VA contacts. So this is not speaking as an insider in any way. But somebody at, at um, Oracle, knowing what they knew about this contract, yeah. stood in front of the board and said, I know there's a $16 billion deal and I know it's at risk. We can fix it. So mm -hmm. you got to imagine the my Yiddish ancestors would say chutzpah, the nerve these companies had, the Oracle executives had saying, we can fix this project. Now, why do I think Oracle could do it? When you look at healthcare, the EHRs, electronic health record system, focus on payers, providers, government research. They don't tend to focus on the rest of the healthcare world, logistics. Now, healthcare runs a hospitality industry, right? Yeah. They put people up and they feed them. They've got to book rooms. They run a logistics chain. They run an inventory. They run a, a warehousing. They run manufacturing. They run credit and collections, billing. All of these things tend to get overlooked in healthcare organizations. They're focused on, we are in the delivery of healthcare business, but I think it's very short-sighted in that industry is they don't look at the whole picture. Oracle already has the rest of that picture. Mm -hmm. 
you want to build a system for inventory, for transportation, for warehousing, for billing, for credit granting, whatever, for data management, they got it. So my guess is that somebody at Oracle said, if you take what we get with Cerner, plus the rest of what we've got, we can build the all singing, all dancing healthcare operations suite that nobody can touch. That's my outsider's view of why a company that had horizontal breadth and vertical depth in five or six industries would tackle one of the biggest industries in the world. So again, I own no Oracle stock and don't intend to buy any, but I think somebody should because I think they're going to do very well. Wayne, one quick comment I want to make that the uh, executive vice president of Oracle who runs the industries business, Mike Cecilia, um, a number of times when we've talked to him, he emphasizes, he said, we, we create operational technology for industries. So it isn't, you know, a little sort of cutesy add-on that allows you to do something retail-ish or something. He said, run a utility company, run a healthcare organization, run a telco. So uh, I, I think you, you've made a, a very, very good distinction there. And uh, that's a very helpful way to describe why somebody might want to take on something that has all the potential rewards, but also some risk, such as we saw with the uh, the VA contract. So great, great point there. So one last point, because um, I do I'm doing this for the buyer. So I want to I want to make three points to the buyer, which is know what you're buying. Understand this taxonomy. If you're an enterprise customer. Think about the kind of enterprise needs you might have. If you're a mid-market customer, ask yourself the question, do I want to be in bed with a global VAR, charging global VAR prices? I I have a a prospect that's looking at ERP consolidation, and one of their countries uses SAP. And I got to say, a little apology to SAP, I've done it before. I used to have a slide in my deck for customers that said, this is not your father's SAP when describing a modern cloud ERP. And I've done a public mea culpa. Uh, SAP is not your father's SAP either anymore. They have changed pretty dramatically. But that doesn't mean the VAR has adjusted their thinking to the new way of SAP thinking. And they sure as hell haven't adjusted their prices. So if you're a mid-market company, why are you paying global VAR prices? That may not be the right partner. SAP could very well be the right product, but it's not potentially the right partner relationship. And so know what you're getting. Know that you're getting a company that started on-prem or a company that started in the cloud. If you start with a company that's focused on the cloud and you need hybrid cloud, they might have an offering partnered with somebody, but it's not where their heart and mind and DNA are. If you have a company that started on-prem and you're gonna do a lot of edge computing or hybrid computing, maybe they're a better choice Mm -hmm. because they fit your culture, your IT culture and your business culture, when I say culture. So know what you're buying and know when you're buying it, know why you're buying it. I'm buying it because I want a suite of suites and I'm gonna make a commitment and take my company down the path of Salesforce or Microsoft or, or Oracle or the others. You're making commitments when you buy ERP, more than CRM for most companies, but you're making really big commitments over a multi-year period. And especially with these cloud products, which are updated for you, 
you're getting tremendous value delivered. It's a whole separate 40 minute conversation. When you buy on-prem software and you update it yourself, you tend to be years behind. In the SaaS world, you're not. You can't be. CEO, message to CEO. You can't not do the update. If you buy the software, you can say, I'm cutting the IT budget. Don't do any updates for the next two years. Can't, can't afford it. If you are in the SaaS world, they do it whether you want to or not. You just got to adapt it to the rest of your ecosystem. So again, that's an important distinction to make. Yeah. If you don't want to move that fast, CEO or board, maybe a SaaS product or a product with very accelerated release is not the product you want. And the last message to the buyer is, Take full advantage of what you bought. A, if you're in a SaaS world or even on-prem, you're paying 20%, 25% a year maintenance in the on-prem software world. You're paying in your cloud licensing the cost of maintenance. Companies often put the product in with great fanfare. We look at every feature. We hired a VAR. We spent a year thinking about what we want to do. And then they just put the updates in and don't take advantage of them. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen on the user side who get a copy of some release note and go, why aren't we doing that? Uh -huh. It's because no one's in charge of doing that and nobody's budgeted for doing that. Well, CEO, CFO, COO, you're not getting your money's worth. And in the, especially in the cloud world with the enhancements coming thick and fast, if you're not keeping up with the enhancements, I promise you, one of your competitors is, yes, and they're going to quickly eclipse you in the market. Whether it's a competitor you can see coming or a competitor you can't see coming that says, if I can do this and this and this cheaply, I can do that business and put you out of business. Remember, digital transformation is driven by technology in two ways. What I can do with my technology or what somebody else can do with their technology against me. That's what drives the digital transformation. Amen. And the cloud products are perfect for that. And Wayne, uh, you know, it's a fantastic summary overall there. And I think the other point is you've talked in a few places about industry cloud, industry specific solutions. As those things start to happen, those become more and more critical to the, the, the health, the vibrancy, the ability of a company to compete, to dazzle its customers or do whatever. So these aren't things that, uh, you know, as you've been saying to the CEO or the CFO, hey, you know, uh, this is this is you know one of those old-fashioned IT costs that you put your heel on and just keep grinding and grinding and grinding. You're going to cut off today your ability to compete, and I think that's why Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella has, has said many times that tech spending will go from five percent of GDP to ten percent of GDP. It's just going to be everywhere. And those leaders that you're addressing a lot of your comments to must adjust their thinking. And you've given them a great roadmap, Wayne, for how to do that. So uh, as always, thank you for the, uh, the great insights and pairing together some uh, solid technical knowledge with uh, business strategy here, Wayne, that, that's really top notch. Great discussion. Always happy to do it. And Bob, your comment about business plus tech. Uh, we've just defined what a modern CIO has to be able to do. I'll say this to the CEO. If your CIO can't go back and forth between the business side, the kind of Wall Street analyst side that some of your articles cover, and the tech side, get a different CIO. Yeah. Yeah.
Absolutely. Well, Wayne, thanks a million. Great stuff. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We've got a, uh, a uh, not just a primer, but a great overview, sort of a, a master's course in you know business technology here from Wayne Saden. And uh, Wayne, thanks for that, folks. Hope everything is going great for you. We're out of summer into the boom time of the year for the tech industry. So I hope uh, all that's coming along well for you. Thanks for being with us and we will see you next time. Thank you, Bob.